Hello and welcome to Chasing Himalayan Dreams, the podcast. My name is Susan and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Chasing Himalayan Dreams. Have you had dreams you put aside? Do you feel a hiking adventure in the Himalayas is a mountain too far? I believe you can do it if you have a moderate fitness and an inability to let your dreams go. This podcast brings you the book. Every episode is a chapter, like an audiobook. I'm using text-to-speech technology to create every episode. So do start listening and enjoy. Fulfill. Our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. Trailing clouds of glory do we come, from God who is our home. William Wordsworth. The last day of the trek. Today we walk through mixed deciduous forests with bursts of bamboo in valleys, along bubbling streams towards the bridge over the Shriekhola River, where Foonsuk waits for us. The oaks, deeper in the forests, are still moss-covered, and creepers swing between the treetops. If it were summer, we would be walking between orchids and flowering rhododendron. In a bamboo thicket, we hear the fluttering of a bird, and we freeze, but a flash of red and blue vanishes into the thick undergrowth. Satatragopan, says Raju, an endangered species. We crouch on the side and creep and peer down into the bushes, but the bird vanishes. The dream is coming to an end too. We walk downhill all the way, and as we meander along in a valley, we cross tumbling streams, on precarious wooden bridges where the paint had worn off. The path is rough, but today we pass villagers on the way to market and young girls walking alone in the forest. There is no motorable road here yet. The silence is broken only by footsteps, bubbling brooks and the tinkle of an occasional cow grazing the meadows. After breakfast, no early rising for sunrise today, it's goodbye to the ponies and Namgyal. They will deliver our luggage to Shriekhola and then return to Gordum, their home base, by another route. These hardy mountain-bred ponies are small and nimble-footed, well-groomed, and decorated with colorful tassels and trinkets. On all the days, not one pony did I see whipped or abused. We pass convoys of patiently plodding ponies laden with cement, wood or potatoes, or single ponies carrying loads up to the villages in the valley above us. Gordum, with its handful of houses, and the Sherpa Lodge, perches across a series of terraces linked with muddy paths. My left foot wobbles on a loose rock and I flail about and land on my arm and hand on the key chad, or soggy mud-cloaked path. Ouch! It's painful and embarrassing. But it's the last day, and Raj pulls out a spray to deaden the pain. What else does he have in that magic backpack? I rotate my wrist and shoulder cautiously, painful but not agonizing. I need to take more care with those sprightly downhill steps. The ache in my knees and less used front muscles of the thighs has eased off with the night's rest. On the sheer descent out of Gordum, we pass a one-room wooden school with boarded-up windows and a silent playground. Is school closed for winter? The paint is flaking off the doors. At breakfast, a gaggle of little kids all dressed up in school uniforms had filed out on a different path. Perhaps this is a derelict school, or a government school where the teacher arrives only on payday. The forests of birch, oak and pine are interspersed with rhododendron and magnolia. This is also wild orchid country, but winter is not the flowering season. Bamboo no longer dominates. We're surrounded by mixed forest, but now we can see villages closer to the trail and sometimes even on the path, with untidy clusters of water pipes leading to the fields and homes. 
dogs rush out to investigate us and cowbells tinkle in the minuscule meadows fringed with marigolds and bamboo. Many houses are empty, and on closer investigation, these little hamlets are lodges for trekkers, all boarded up for winter. Brave trekkers also use this route to go up to Sundakfu. Or are they just foolhardy? The second trekking season is post-monsoon, October to December, but this year the season has only started in early December. Too late and too few trekkers for all the businesses to remain viable. Sharp gabled tin roofs and walls painted in cheerful colors, have replaced the traditional thatch and bamboo-daubed Himalayan homes. Raju says that his childhood home too, had bamboo walls smeared with mud and thatched roofs, not very warm, and a fire hazard. Cheerful balconies painted in bright colors overlook the valley, and in the season, must be packed with trekkers. But now, we have all the valley to ourselves. We have lost the schoolboys. Perhaps they have gone down by another route. The only other group is the trio from Jamshedpa who have remained for an additional day in Gordum. Not for nothing do they call themselves the escaped dads. My spirits lift with the sound of running water today, many streams rush down to join the Shriekhola River. Brown trout leap in these waters, and ardent anglers come from all over the world, to stand in these icy waters and cast their lines all day. Not for me though. Let the trout run free. Sikkim, with well-established fishing adventures, is across the valley, and you can fish for trout, marcia and catfish. I remember fishing expeditions as a child in Kashmir, where my parents and elder brother, stood in the freezing mountain streams, oblivious to everything but fly fishing for trout, and I climbed the almond trees in the orchards around, or scoured the ground below them for fallen nuts. We cross a wooden bridge above the rapids that sparkle over the rocks into a still, deep pool, nice to swim on a summer's day. A village girl passes us as we stop and take photographs, and she vanishes up the steep ascent after the bridge. Village girls in these parts of the mountains are in the latest jeans and trim jackets, and, slippers. I look at my boots, no way could I trip along as daintily as she does. Raja promises us a short walk today, I step carefully after the inelegant toss in the mud this morning. We emerge on a road, but tumbled piles of rocks block the spanking new concrete road, lined with low stone markers. Landslide after landslide has wiped out chunks of the road and looking down. Homes have escaped by a hair's breadth. In a village, one of the lodges is smashed, the roof caved in, and a twisted window flung far down on the bank. I hope there was no one in it. The ponies clamber over the debris of fallen mountain. We avoid the tumbled mess, and soon we're back traversing lightly wooded slopes on a mountain footpath. We stop at a bridge for photographs. I look at those photographs now, these are not Instagram worthy. After five days of rigorous walking I'm not going to lie and say I was radiant with energy. I'm physically exhausted, but I feel invincible, except, when I slip and slither into the mud. I did not flop onto a pony or skulk into a jeep and still see Sundakfu. That's me. Keith nags about how stupid and stubborn I am. Maybe my trek has been 50% walking, and 50% resting. I might look exhausted, but all I need to do is stop and catch my breath and continue. I got there, and I looked at Kanchenjunga. And it was worth every gasp. Kanchenjunga has disappeared now, because we're too deep down in the valley. Loud hammering destroys the silence, and as we turn the corner, we're stopped by gigantic roadworks. A great landslide oozing clay and puddles of icy muddy water, with workers scampering all over like muddy ants, is not where you'd expect to see a trio of fashionistas, but there they are. 
three Pokemon trainers, sloshing along in golden gumboots. Oh well, they might be road engineers. I'm enchanted, I wish I could get those gumboots. We detour into a clutch of houses to avoid the worksite, with its pounding pistons. But it's a dead end, unless I drop down the cliff into the sparkling stream below. From this vantage point I marvel at the ingenuity of roadworks on the steep slopes. The excavator drives across the shallow rock-strewn river and up to the rocky river bank where the operator swings the scooper bucket, to gouge out the rocks and mud to create a flat platform. A conga line of women and children carry away the debris in woven baskets. Meanwhile a queue of coolies staggers up the slippery slope bent over with sacks of cement to tip into the concrete mixer. The slick concrete slithers down a steep raceway made of tin plates hammered together. There's no escape. We trudge through the sticky mud and clay-coated rocks of the landslide rubble and roadworks. Chubby toddlers with muddy feet, stop and stare at us staring at the roadworks. My arm is aching and swollen and well sprayed with pain relief. Ahead is the end of the trek, the bridge over the Shriekhola River sways between two moss-encrusted, arched stone gateways. The flags beckon me on. Beyond the stone arch, the wooden suspension bridge rocks in the breeze. Underneath, the trout-rich Shriekhola gurgles loud over rocks and boulders. This is the end, the last boundary, crossing the Jordan. I breathe in and stop, lugging before I inch across. The river waters churn beneath the large heel catching gaps. Time for those last photographs, crossing the chasm. This is the end of the trek. The last step. I drop everything to cheer and shout. Too much laughing causes me to cough, tears well up in my eyes, but I am not crying. I clench my fists and raise my arms to all my invisible supporters. I savor the moment, fleeting and evanescent. I took not six days but forty-six years to get here. I will never lose sight of my dreams again. I hope you enjoyed this chapter of my book. If you liked it, send me a message or let me know. You can find the ebook or print book on Amazon. Also, there's a free book of Himalayan mandalas for you to color in on my website, susanjaganath.com/freebies. Keep listening.